Hi, I'm Erin. And I'm Kimona. And this is Rebels Advocate, the podcast where we break down the shit show that is the current social climate and reframe the radical. Let's get started. Well, hey there, Kimona. Hi, Erin. Welcome back to another episode of our dear Rebels Advocate podcast. Woo woo, we're back. I was going to say we're back in the studio, but like we don't have a studio and we never have. <laughs> the virtual the virtual space in which we hold, that the, is the studio. <laughs> it's the mind studio, you know? We're yeah. back in that mental place of recording a podcast. It's a the great weekly, time. the mm-hmm. weekly thing. Um, I mean, I, I don't know how I would do in a studio, like a podcast in a studio. That would be a very interesting experience. Yeah, I would only like it if it meant that we could decorate. (laughs) Like, okay, because I'm imagining that the studio, it's all black. And on the back wall, we have like a neon light of our logo. Is is the studio ours? We own this. No, this is our studio. Okay. Okay. Like, this is ours. Like In this vision. In this vision, it's like our studio in our office space. Mm -hmm. Um, We have an empire. Oh, okay. I'm here for that. I was totally not on that wavelength, but I'm absolutely here for it. Amen. And, it and we have a neon, neon sign. Yes. I like it. I like it. I've been really into neon signs. I vibe with it. We have one in my apartment. We just have never turned it on because it makes a weird sound. Oh, see, I need a <laughs> silent neon sign. I'm not confident those exist because they make a very like screechy sound when you turn them on. They're very right. weird. The fake neon lights, the ones that are actually just LED, but they look okay. like neon lights. I've That's had... what we have. Thank you. Deal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, to the listeners, welcome back to another episode of our podcast. And this week we are tackling mental health because it's May, right in the smack dab in the middle of the month in uh, Mental Health Awareness Month, which is a great time. I mean, it's kind of funny because I feel like almost every month I have something that I'm like, I don't know, celebrating is necessarily the right word, but like my energy is focused in mm-hmm. more so with the advocacy effort because like we've got September is pediatric cancer awareness and June is pride and like there's lots of different ones. Um, February is Black History. Like there's all tons of stuff pretty much every month. So there's a lot of things that my energy is like, okay, got to focus, got to focus. <laughs> um, but May is mental health awareness. So that is a cause near and dear to my heart and Kimono's heart. Um, we are mentally ill, babies. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, who's not? I know there are, I know that like logically there are people who are not mentally ill in the world, but I have yet to meet one. <laughs> Honestly, I don't fully believe that anyone is exempt from a mental health episode. Mm-hmm. I personally like I'm sure there's a good half of the population that doesn't suffer from like an illness per se. Um and maybe even more so that don't have like a chronic issue, maybe like I do. Um, and I believe your issues are chronic. Yep. We got generalized anxiety disorder, baby. Right, okay. So uh, me as well. Um, 
So chronic issues obviously are different, but affect a lot of people and like a staggering number of the population, um, specifically Americans. I'm sure the worldwide statistics vary because um, if we want to go into real historical facts here, there are actual disorders that do and do not exist in different cultures. There are conditions that are based strictly on the culture that you're in. Um, so you could have a disorder that exists in a culture like Japan, but not in America and vice versa. So the oh, statistics really are going, interesting. Yeah. So the statistics are going to vary in that way as well, especially um, in terms of accessibility and stigma. Things like that are also going to affect the numbers as well. But based on my assumption, I'm going to say probably a good little half and half situation um but of course back to what i kind of think that everyone has some bout of mental illness or mental health problem it's hard to never be exposed to some level of trauma even if you don't um, develop ptsd from it or you could have you know components of a disorder without maybe a full-fledged diagnosis or you can have an anxiety episode, an anxiety attack, a depressive episode without ever falling into any of those categories. So considering the human experience involves grief and death and loss and love and all these things that are very, very intense emotions that are often coupled with trauma exposure. And a lot of those things um, are kind of impossible to not experience at some point in your lifetime. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely on the side of everyone gets mental illness somewhere along the lines. Yeah, I think something that I have seen floating around a bit, actually, I don't know if I've seen it too much this, this may specifically, but in the past, this idea that like, not everyone may be mentally ill, but everyone has mental health and everyone should put in the effort to take care of their mental health. Absolutely. Because, you know, there's, there are people who have chemical imbalances and there's disorders that are really just genetic and things that you were born with. And that we just drew the short straw and this is the life we were given. But a lot of things are developed by your environment and the things that you're exposed to. So there are definitely ways to avoid having bigger issues by, you know, having accessibility, uh, being open about talking about the issues that you get, uh, that you're going through, breaking down stigmas, uh, specifically around gender roles and expression mm -hmm. of your emotions. Um, and, you know, maybe companies and schools, not only breaking down the taboo of taking personal time and treating mental health issues as serious and physical needs, um, all of these things can be preventative in developing a more severe um, episode or illness or some exposure to a disorder that you don't really need to encounter. Um, so mental health is for everyone, absolutely. That's not something that anyone is exempt from experiencing. And if you're not someone who personally suffers from these things, maybe you've never had an episode before. Maybe you're the lucky few that could 
be pretty clear of it. Maybe you won't experience a lot of trauma in your lifetime, maybe not a lot of grief. And, you know, there's people out there like that, and that's lucky. <laughs> but, you know, if you're not one of those people, there's certainly someone in your life that you are close to and that you love who has experienced that. So it's definitely something to be both informed of as well as, you know, confident in your abilities to cope and, you know, prevent some of these things from becoming more severe. Definitely. Um, I really like how you touched on the, the idea of how, um, wow, I'm really blanking on words. This is, <laughs> listen, words are hard. They are hard. Every we episode. Have a, we can have a dictionary on hand. Uh, well, and you were talking about how the various things people experience uh, and like that are in their life it can affect, you know, your mental health, whether you develop mental illnesses, things like that. I think that's really important. Um, and a lot of people, I wouldn't say that they don't realize it, but I, I feel like it's not often looked at to the fullest extent. Because um, I think immediately about how systemic injustices that we talk about all the time um, can compound on the severity of various mental illnesses in the marginalized groups. Um, and how like little, like the, the teeniest, tiniest of things that some of us will take for granted uh, definitely can affect your, your mental health. If you don't have a home, if you are... If, if you are houseless, if you are without a place to to rest, it's a lot harder to, like, you know, like, really live through phrases like rest is radical or or to take that time to have self-care moments. Uh, I think there's only so much that self-care in and of itself can do. I think that's also something super important to touch on. I, I don't know if you have some thoughts on how people love to, like, push self-care as the end-all be-all of mental health care um especially in like corporations where it's like you know what would be really great for my mental health is if you paid me a living wage for sure i mean yeah back to the like small things adding up for sure microaggressions um as a person of color or anyone in an oppressed group mm -hmm. um whether that mean you're queer and even being a female um you can have these little microaggressions that compound into trauma responses. Um, so yeah, it's easy to dim diminish someone else's experience as something, oh, you're reacting largely to something small um, or maybe really diminish your own feelings and your own trauma response. But those things are real life and they add up, especially if you're someone who encounters that by being in an oppressed group of, and especially if you hold multiple identities um, within a minority or an oppressed group, whether you're um, like Kimona and I share different identities, but we both have multiple identities that can, that our day-to-day -day life is going to encounter something mm -hmm. that can add to that trauma response simply by being born uh, and holding my gender identity as a female, as you as well, we're both queer, you're a person of color. These are all things that you're going to encounter microaggressions every day. Um, and that can really result into real tangible trauma responses. Um, yeah, and to 
I mean, I guess it's not really prefacing when you're already 15 minutes into an episode, but uh, <laughs> I do have my uh, bachelor's of science in psychology, have been working with uh, and in that mental health industry for years. Um, so this is my niche and I'm currently applying to uh, clinical PhD programs in psychology. So I will be a doctor soon enough, you know, if this podcast is another 10 years old, or I'll at least be a doctor to be an official expert. Um, but this is totally my niche as well as my lived experience. I've been diagnosed and medicated with disorders in the mental health umbrella for a really long time. Um, I've been medicated since I was 15. I have not been off any medication. I've only, unfortunately, only have ever increased. Um, and there's certainly, when it comes to medication, um, some people's fears are that you take it and you're just going to be your lifelong thing. Mm -hmm. For a lot of people, taking medication is a temporary relief to get something in you back on balance or to give you some relief so you can start beginning to use those coping mechanisms that you're learning in therapy. Um, so for a lot of people, it's temporary. You're on it for a couple months, a couple years, and then you get off of it. Uh, and then there's, of course, people who have more chronic conditions, um, especially conditions that you really aren't able to escape, like bipolar disorder, schizophrenia. Those are things that have no cure. Um, so there's certainly something that you're going to be taking medication for for the rest of your life because you need it. Um, as anxiety and depression disorders aren't always the case. It's definitely an option, um, even in a chronic disorder to go off of it and then come back on it and go off of it and back on it. It's more of wavering because the experience and your waves of emotions can definitely change. Um, and it may be more helpful when you're in a stressful time period, like college, like grad school, big, big life-changing uh, events are oftentimes that you need medication the most. But people live in different variations of getting help and the tools that they use. So that's certainly, I believe strongly in the combination of therapy and medication. I don't think everyone needs medication, but I think everyone should go to therapy. Um, and I don't think medication alone will ever solve your problems. Um, I think you certainly need to be in some combination. And most uh, psychiatrists and general practitioners that prescribe these medications will not continue your medication if you're not in active therapy. So that's definitely um, the best because the medication is supposed to get you at that level that you're able to use the tools that you're learning. Um, because for a lot of us, when we're unmedicated, we aren't able to use the tools that we've learned. Um, whether that because you're in an anxious scenario where you're manic, um, having delusions, can't focus from ADHD, tons of things like that. Um, yeah, so there's a whole slew of ways that, the, that you can seek help. Of course, not everyone is under the same umbrella. Different people need different things, and you'll have to find out what works, works for you. Um, but I would say at a minimum, anyone who's in a crisis, whether it's short-term, long-term, or even if you just or having a hard time or going through a weird transitional phase. Um, seeking therapy is just a great opportunity to talk to a third party who's impartial 
to the situation that you're going through, as well as having someone trained who can help you navigate the, you know, strangeness of life. Um, so even if you're not someone who's facing a mental disorder, uh, that's certainly not a reason not to go to therapy. Amen. I've always thought it's so interesting how something like a like your yearly like physical, like going to the doctor every year is just like when someone is like, oh, I just like skip that. People are like, oh, my God, what do you mean? Like you you skip your physical gasp. Uh, but like there's no equivalent for mental health. Like there's there's none. Like the 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 closest thing that we get is um, I mean I, this only happened to me recently, but I went to uh, my gynecologist like what a year ago now. Oh gosh, I've got to make an appointment. <laughs> I was gonna say Ooh. a year. We gotta go back. It's almost. It's it's about to be a year. Oh goodness, that just <laughs> my anxiety doesn't like making appointments, guys. It's a problem, but it's fine. We're working on it. Um, but I went to to see her and. I like they gave me like a like a little form to fill out that was just like a a mental health check-in and I was like this is super interesting um I filled it out did not discuss it at all I think it's probably because I have a psychiatrist that I see already um and that's like all in their system and, and whatnot but um that's like the first time I've ever experienced something like that like yeah even, like going to to any kind of like general practitioner doctor or anything like I've never seen anything like that before so that's yeah I, I can't say that I have either but even so like I feel like in a more perfect world seeing a therapist like you know once a year just to check in would be like the norm yeah it, well it, it's totally comparable to physical health especially when you go into navigating preventative measures um like we were talking about a little bit earlier and maybe that implementation of schools and businesses, um, you know, allowing for personal and mental health days and really making sure people feel comfortable to take that time off. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a big deal, especially because like personal days do exist for a lot of people, but it's often portrayed that you're supposed to be using that, like use that first before your vacation days, if you go on a vacation or, you know, if you have to go to a wedding, or uh, like, or funeral, like there should be an option and at least a, a breaking down of the taboo and the stigma of taking like a personal day for your personal well-being, taking a day off from your nine to five, five days a week for most, like that's a lot of work. And especially in this country, the United States, there is not a lot of time off at all, especially compared to people in European countries. And it's, oh my God, I could go on forever about it. But preventative measures like that should be ingrained and treated as the ways that you take physical health precautions, like Mm -hmm. eating well, eating well, sleeping, you know, going to the doctor. And, you know, even when we're kids, we learn phrases like an apple a day keeps the doctor away. But you're you're learning at a young age that we should be doing active steps every day to be healthy. And, you know, we have health curriculums and things like that that never touch on mental health when that's largely part of the human experience, if not more. Like, our mind and our consciousness is what makes us human. 
hello. Oh, that, <laughs> so. <laughs> that is a really good point that you just made. Um, I was just, you, you made me think back to my experience in high school and whatnot with health classes. Fun times. They're the worst. Um, especially at a private Christian institution. That's, that's what I was going to say. You went to a Catholic at. school, so. Oh, Christian, not Catholic. Oh, sorry. I, sorry. It's, it's not, I don't really care. I just. Jesus. <laughs> they both love Jesus. Yes. Um, I hope I didn't offend any Catholics. Oh, God. I'm a Catholic. I'm so offended. Just kidding. I'm an agnostic. Atheist? I don't know what I am. <laughs> but. Not once. I don't think there was ever a mental health conversation. Like, I could tell you how many times I had to, like, tell people about all the different um, STIs you can get or how I had to, like, calculate my BMI in class, uh, which uh, besides, like, just... Like well, according to BMI, this podcast is uh, funded. I don't know, funded. It really makes some sense. Sponsored <laughs> is made by two obese girls. So yep. love it. <laughs> yeah, the BMI is a mess, and we've talked about Woo-hoo. this before. But like, those are the things. Like, it's so focused on like physical health, and like depending on where you are, like don't have sex. Um, like that's what that's what health class is. Uh, but like. Or, like, learning about, like, the muscles and, like, being able to, like, name, like, the different, like, um, bones and things when it's, oh, like, yeah. I'm not. Health programs and fitness programs rather have kids be, like, skinny and f- muscular than, like, mentally okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's, like, that's insane. They, like, at a bare a minimum, bare minimum, schools should implement conversations along at least crises, like, Give them a phone number to a hotline. Give them so like I've reached out to a hotlines before. Like I've been in crises in the middle of the night, like freshman year, I would like text a crisis number because I'm like I need to talk to somebody. Like I don't want to wake up any of my friends. I feel so guilty. I'm not gonna call my therapist in the middle of the night. Like especially a lot of people with mental illness, we have a complex of being very guilty and feeling like a burden. Um, so. It's nice that hotlines exist 24-7 of people to reach out to, um, especially when you're uh, in more of a crisis, especially, you know, there's suicide hotlines and things like that. Um, And I guess since I've mentioned suicide, just a quick conversation around that. So trigger warning, if you are not um, comfortable talking about suicide, skip ahead a little bit. Um, But just to break down the ideations for everyone and the definitions um, in a just very informal way, suicide can just come about in a different variations. There's, of course, when you think of suicide, you think of people who have actively tried to kill themselves and either been successful or not. But there's, of course, uh, just variations of suicidality of where you have ideations like you're having thoughts of suicide, but you don't want to actually hurt yourself. You don't actually want to do it, but you've thought about it. Or there's a variation where you've thought about it, you have a plan, but you don't want to implement it. Or you have a plan and you backed out. Certain variations. Um, There's actually a, a scale that exists in the mental health field that actually was created at the institute that I work at. Um, Columbia Suicide Severity Scale um, is a scale that we use to 
as clinicians and readers to determine someone's likeliness of harm um, and harm reduction. You know, you want to keep tabs on that. And things like that are, we keep tabs on are your, how often you've thought about it, how recently, and there's also a lifetime, you know, how often have you experienced these things? Did you have a real attempt, an aborted attempt, and of course, a successful attempt. So uh, in part of the bringing, breaking down the stigma, it is important to know that there's a lot of people that even if they haven't actively, you know, had a, sub, a weapon in their hand, an actual plan in their mind, or have actively attempted and either aborted or failed, there is no, there are a lot of people who have suicidal ideations that may be living with that, uh, feeling invalidated, uh, feeling, you know, that not part of the statistic. So that's, again, to realize that if suicide is a very common occurrence, especially in young people, um, that, well, actually not especially in young people, there's also a very, very increased in uh, very older, uh, elderly populations as well. Um, but there are a lot of people out there who have, you know, when you think of suicide, that's a statistic. Those are the people you're thinking of. So also it's important to know and know the signs and to break down the stigma to make sure that people are able to talk about like, yeah, you know, I have thought about it. And people like that um, are totally valid in their feelings and valid in have experiencing a very serious crisis. Um, so I think it's really important to know that there's variations of suicide and suicidal ideation um, to protect and allow people to speak on horrible experiences and get the help that they need. And I think it's also super important to recognize that talking about suicide doesn't make someone more likely to, to commit suicide. I think there's this, this idea that if you think, if you know that someone is struggling, you can't talk to them about it because like, oh, like I'll just like, that'll push them over the edge. But like, if you know someone needs help, then like, you can't just sit on that. So just, just, just the thought that it's not, it's not, not as like simple and black as, and Oh Lord, I cannot speak today. Not as simple and black and white as that. And it is okay to speak, especially if someone brings this up to you, it is okay to sit and listen to how they are feeling, have that conversation and then be a support for how whatever steps that, that they need to get the help that they need. You can be there and be that support for that person. You don't have to be afraid to, to have that conversation with them. Absolutely. And especially if, depending on the stage that you're in and your suicidality, there's definitely, you know, if you're someone who's in the stages of not really want to act, not want, wanting to act on it, speaking to someone, whether it's a confidant, a friend, a family member, or a hotline is a great way for them to take that next step and get the help that they need, whether that's medication or therapy or a combination of the two. Um, I think the most important thing is making sure that people who are having those feelings and thoughts are being heard and that we're understanding as allies and friends and loved ones that we don't have to be afraid of that. They're not, they're not scary. They just need, they need you to be a good friend and to listen to them, you know? Um, and just to, 
you know, you can't not provide the hotline number. So if you or anyone that you know is experiencing any suicidal thoughts or any ideations and they need more help, um, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 800-273-8255. And they have 24-hour availability in different languages. So that's definitely the first line of defense if you are in crises and don't really know how to proceed. Or if someone comes to you and you don't know how to proceed, that is a great first step. Thank you for pulling up the number, Erin, because I did not have it ready. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. So I think this is really important because that's definitely a part of the conversation that's the most taboo. You know, Mm -hmm. mental health is definitely becoming more discussed. You know, we're having a whole month that people are like saying me too and talking about it and saying let's break down the stigma but to break down the stigma we have to confront some of the most ugly parts and it's the same as any of these conversations that we have on subjects that are uncomfortable and ugly and a really not comfortable part of humanity but there's so many people out there who have had these feelings and have had these experiences and if we're not talking about them then nothing's ever going to get better. Um, So that's the end of that part of the conversation. So if you have skipped over this part, feel free to join us again. Um, Hi, welcome back. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's another important thing too, you know, in conversations like this, there's things that are very triggering in these conversations and you're more than entitled to not want to talk about certain portions, you know, in your recovery, whether that's from being a sexual assault victim or, confronting some of your mental health trauma and you know not everyone's at the same stage of conversation and it's not super easy to talk about all of this stuff so never feel afraid to back away from that and that's you know also to say to people that like yes trigger warnings and content warnings do matter they do matter and I I have no room to even discuss um in this space the alternative I'll just simply say that trigger warnings matter and you should put them on all your content um, if it's anything that could be triggering. And if you disagree, um, I'm not a fan of yours. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd like to just, I want to say double tap, but I don't, that's not a thing anymore. Like, <laughs> echo, I really, echo that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was about to like, double tap the screen, but like, no, come on, I don't do that. Um, Thank you for liking me. <laughs> of, of course I like you. We have a podcast together. But Super yes. Like- Oh, that's tinder but yeah but you know what i i do super like you Aaron. <laughs> um but yes trigger warnings content warnings so important uh even if you're just like sharing something to your instagram story like please add that like it's so important you don't want to like really ruin someone's day like at the minimum or just like throw them into into a horrible loop like I've just- had that happen. I've I had to unfollow someone recently because it was very topical and something that I was very triggered by um, in my life. And like maybe in a few weeks I would have been able to look at it, but at the moment I was very very triggered by anything relating to this situation. And I was just like scrolling by, and someone had like a very graphic image oh, no. on their story, and I was so stunned it happened twice with the same person i unfollowed them because i was like i cannot have this happen so if you're putting something you know and this is a conversation we don't have to fully go into but like all of the people who find it okay to post you know videos and share videos and 
footage and photography of you know all these racist crimes that are occurring and the death of people of color and then in the same line now with everything that's going on um well it's been going on for decades but now that's being very on the forefront of people's social media pages with palestinians um like let's cut it out with the death porn like i don't mm. need to, people don't need to see this especially like you're these are people's lives yes they don't need to be um used for your agenda whether that's whatever side you fall on don't care um also there are a lot of people who could be in that position especially when you're talking about um race you know like with George Floyd's death, let's use a big one. Everyone posting that video. People don't want to see that after a while, especially when they are black men, when they have a black man in their life, when like, you know, it's just people don't need to see that. And it's very triggering. Um, and I just it's not acceptable. Yeah. If you need to see a dead body to care about an issue, you have a problem. Yeah, it's like people who, you know, have to see like a crime and then you have the, what's it called when people um, are in traffic and it slows down? Rubbernecking. Rubbernecking. <laughs> so that's it. Um, that's the one. But like, you don't need to watch people die. Like, those are, how would you feel if that was your family member, your loved one, you? So. That's a little bit of a tangent, but to say again, in that's a very easy way for people to see how content warning matters. Um, and it shouldn't have to be as volatile as death and violence mm -hmm. to need a content warning. Just be cognizant of what you post, especially yeah. if you're someone in the advocacy field that you do post things that can be very triggering. Um, it's your duty and your responsibility to protect your your view your viewers your audience yeah and i think that's so important to recognize especially because i feel like a lot of people like to and i touched on this a bit earlier but like to like talk about mental health in in a vacuum as if it doesn't exist in the the very real reality of the world as it is going on around us but that's just not the case and so these things like content warnings and trigger warnings are a very real tool to help people uh, to support mental health all around. And it's, I, I so hate that it's been politicized, um, but it just, like mental health is just as important to advocacy work, um, to being an activist as, as any other part of it. Not just in the way that like as an activist, as an advocate, it is important to take care of your own mental health, but as in the sense that mental health is directly connected to, to the, the need for liberation and for dismantling systems of oppression. Because newsflash, if you are experiencing oppression, if you are oppressed, your mental health is not gonna be as great as if you weren't oppressed. Woo, bam. <laughs> yeah the more the more issues you have and the more obstacles you face the harder it is i mean to live you're struggling mm -hmm. you're having all these components affecting your mental health and you're also not able to have the tools the resources the time the money 
to invest in taking care of your mental health. And now to like kind of circle back onto something that you were bringing up earlier, you know, the self-care movement. Mm. Um, and I think we mentioned uh, in the Rest is Radical episode that, you know, self-care is not bath bombs and uh, essential oils. <laughs> I mean, it can be part of your routine and I have absolutely nothing against them. I love both of them. Um, but, you know, it's not... And not everything is something that requires an exorbitant amount of money that capitalism mm -hmm. totally feeds off of, this self-care movement. These, And there's a lot of issues in the um, psychology, therapist, influencer movement, people taking advantage mm. of the fact that they have a license um, and using that as a platform to be perceive yourself as godlike. Um, I also like not to be an academic snob, but there is a difference between a doctor and a licensure. So the fact that there is like the, it's it's not a catch-all. Your mm -hmm. experience level, your expertise, your education, your trauma, um, sensitivity is not guaranteed in some specific um specific programs so there is definitely a difference between a therapist who's you know gotten a licensure after a bachelor's versus someone who's become a doctor and worked in the field for 50 years um not to say that a 50-year expertise doctor isn't you know couldn't mess up but you know don't take someone for just saying i'm a, a therapist as a catch-all mm -hmm. That's a big thing, um, especially, again, to refer to race, a lot of therapists are white and there is a large issue in therapy as a whole um, with, you know, the white savior complex. A lot of white people, white women who go into therapy and social work with this need um, and desire to help people without being trauma informed. Um, which does not allow people of color to feel comfortable and confident in, you know, really being their authentic self and talking about their issues because these therapists are not trauma informed and are not educated in helping communities of color and the issues that they face. Totally different, totally different. Um, Again, to like mention a little bit more of my expertise, I do have a certificate in specific trauma, um, being trauma informed in specifically in yoga, actually, because yoga is something that is definitely mainstreamed as a self-care mm -hmm. thing. So a lot of people who are suffering from trauma and mental health issues often go to yoga first because it's recommended, it's mainstream, it's easy, it's a little less uh, stigmatized as going to therapy or seeking actual mental health help. So a lot of people go to these things and you, you're going to a yoga teacher who's all about fitness. Um, you're missing a lot of the marks of students who are coming in with trauma experiences, people of color, people of bigger bodies, um, people who are disabled. There is a lot that needs to be informed and yeah, although my certificate is specific in a yoga space, it is a good indication of how necessary mm -hmm. trauma-informed 
how how that specialization should be in most, if all, if not all fields, because things where people are going to people with trauma are going to gravitate more towards are definitely the people that need to be the most trauma informed, like therapists, and that is not always a requirement, especially at some of those. Um, I don't want to say lower levels because they still work their butts off to through right. school, but like at some of those levels um, and programs that don't require that. Yeah. It's, it's really, all of that is so, 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 so important. Um, and just like to add really quickly on there's uh, I'm, I'm in a Facebook group um, for social I'm in workers. so many, so many Facebook groups. I'm not a social worker. I don't plan to be a social worker, but I like to consider myself low-key social work adjacent. Like my mom is a social worker. Uh, you know, the things that I am passionate about are kind of relevant to social services, yada, yada, yada. Um, but basically I'm in this Facebook group um, about abolitionist social work and it's very interesting. It is so interesting. Yes, I see your face, Erin. I will send you an invite. Um, yes, thank you. And I think it's really important because it's it's opened my eyes a lot to how there are some unfortunate ties with like carceral treatment and mental health, um, and like particularly with dealing with certain mental illnesses. Like our response is to quote unquote lock people away, um, and how that has like kind of always been our response, even for like like lesser issues until you know changes can have come along and how mental illness and mental health can be weaponized against particularly black people um and other people of color to be like oh well you see you can't do this because you have xyz and so that's just another area that could be a whole episode in and of itself well i was actually just <laughs> going to say that that i very much uh you know largely based on my education centered around this um, I really, really do want to have an episode that goes deep into that connection because the, psych the field of psychology is deeply rooted in racism and there is so much undoing that is luckily going on. These are conversations that are being mm -hmm. had, but it's new and it has so much undoing to go. Um so there's a lot of history and a lot of like recent history that have cost people their lives and their livelihoods um, because of the way that doctors and white doctors, white male doctors specifically over the course of history have impacted communities of color this way. So I absolutely want to talk about that, but please know that psychology whew, not only is not exempt, but a huge, huge system in which uh, racism is heavily prevalent. Mm, systems of oppression are intertwined. Oh it's yeah. All intersectional. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could talk about this for literally centuries. I may as well write my dissertation on this all. Um, you know, it's going to be a long journey. So, you know, just keep listening to this podcast until I'm a doctor. So Can't stay wait. tuned for eight more years. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's going to be a long year of applications. Can't wait. But we are here to support you the whole way. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so recap. Break down the stigmas. 
all of them, the ugly mm. ones too. Content warnings, essential. Provide people with tools and make sure people feel comfortable, you know, accessing the resources that are out there. Um, and yeah, there's so many things that I could keep recapping. Um, yeah, there's so much, so, so much. Um, I hope this episode was semi-helpful in realizing, you know, the importance of trauma sensitivity and all of the things that really do go into why mental health matters so much and why this month of awareness means so much more than just being like, yes, we need to accept that rare pe those rare people with severe disorders that are out there. No, it's breaking down the barriers so that every single person can talk comfortably about their experiences because no one is exempt. Mental mm -hmm. health issues do not discriminate. The end. <laughs> Snaps for that. Amen. Yes. Oh. What a wonderful So that, that was me rambling on for years. It was not very rambly. And I will say that Kimona said that I that this was my episode, so. I did, I gave this one to you. I said, this is this is your niche, like you know the most about it. And like, this is this is like your whole life. So I let you take the reins because that's- Literally my whole life. I am consumed by it in my personal <laughs> life. <laughs> and, I, and I choose to keep working towards it. You know, honestly, people with mental health, gra like issues gravitate to wanting to help people with mental health issues. It's true. It is so true. <laughs> I almost so, went the therapist route. I did. That was close. I have always, always known that this is my avenue. So at least we're getting closer. <laughs> we're sort of almost there. On the journey. And if you guys want to keep up with this journey, you can uh, keep following us at Rebels Advocate Pod on Instagram, at Rebels ADV Pod on Twitter, and you can check out our website, rebelsadvocatepod.wordpress.com, where we will have show notes uh, for every episode with a bunch of resources and links and things. And that's that. So we will catch you back here every Tuesday. We are coming to the end so quickly to our the end of season two. Just a few episodes left. Uh, a few more conversations of advocacy. And next month, the best time, Pride. Um, so and Gemini season. Well, yes, of course. Come on, as a Gemini. Are we not? Are we surprised? Um, We're not surprised. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm a Taurus. This surprises no one. All right. So that's it from us. And we'll see you back here every Tuesday. Bye. Bye.